98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Catch it in from the corner. Wolf and Luke. Brings the boom. And catching bodies on his way to the rack. Sons. Game day with K-Ray. I'm ready for whatever. I'm ready for whatever. Hour number two of the show, live from the Auction Community Studios. Kellen Olsen in for Wolf today. We got Suns Grizzlies tonight. Phoenix going for the franchise record and wins. I'm just going to keep saying that for the one person out there that doesn't realize that's what's on the line tonight. And joining us on the 72 Sold Sports Line right now is Bally Sports Kevin Ray. It is game day with K Ray. K Ray, what's going on, man? How we doing, fellas? Doing pretty good. Um,. I mean, here we are. I, we've been talking about this team challenging for the franchise record for a while. It seems, it, it really has all season seemed pretty inevitable they were going to get to this point. But uh, now they're getting there with a few games to go. What are you looking for in this final week plus of games from this team? Yeah, I, I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, just continuing to play at at the standard that they've set, you know, at, at it, Monty just continues to say it, and I know that I feel like you know it bears repeating. Um, and I'm sure some of the fans get tired of hearing it. They want some you know sexy cliche put out there, but it really is true. Just playing to the standard that they have set and playing Phoenix Suns basketball, and you know certainly starting at the top of the list is is being being able to stay healthy. And uh, I know there is uh, Maloney had said in the sports report the good news is they're going to get a little healthier tonight uh, with the likely return of uh, Cam Johnson and JaVale McGee. K-Ray, when you look at what Memphis is is doing tonight, and I'll phrase it that way, uh, they're listing Desmond Bain, <laughs> Tyus Jones, Jaron Jackson Jr., Steven Adams as all doubtful. Uh, Jaron Jackson's been going through a thing where he's getting a game off here and there, but those three other guys haven't missed time recently. It just seems like with them not having a game again until Tuesday after this, that they're going to take these kind of five days to give those guys some rest. They've locked up the clinch uh, for the two seed. They've got nothing to play for. The Suns technically don't either, but we don't see those names listed for them. Uh, K-Ray, what do you take away from just our our first uh, real example of this happening with the Suns' opposition and just what the Suns gain from keeping their guys in as opposed to what the Grizzlies gain from keeping keeping their guys out. Yeah, you know, there's there's a number of things that come to mind. I'm sure for Suns fans, it, it feels very Popovichian. Uh, you know, we were we were talking about it last night at dinner when we first you know kind of heard the rumblings that that was likely going to be the case. Um, and look, it, you know, it it's who I feel the worst for are the fans um, because this did have the makings of a really great you know Friday night matchup with the two best teams in the league record-wise, two top teams in the Western Conference, and potentially, you know, a playoff preview. Um, but I'm sure that, that what we'll hear from Monty Williams and the players later on tonight, because they did not have shoot-around today, is, look, they, they focus on themselves. They, they can't worry about who's playing, who's not playing. Um, but, you know, every team, every organization has their own methodology, uh, their own line of thinking about why they do things. And, um, you know, this apparently is the way that Taylor Jenkins and Memphis, you know, is choosing to approach this. I, I just, you know, I do find it interesting that, 
you're you're resting players who are you know 24, 23 years of age uh, at this point in the season. And I know the Suns fans have been wondering, you know, well, why aren't the Suns players resting? Well, look, you're going to have a week off between the the end of the regular season and your first playoff game. Uh, this sport, these players are as much about rhythm and timing as anybody. Um, and I've I've always found it interesting, you know, why why you would choose to rest uh, knowing full well that you've got a week off. But again, every team approaches things differently, and for the Suns, this will just be an opportunity for them to focus on themselves and and yeah, focusing on getting win number sixty three. Talking to Kevin Ray. Uh, Kerry, I want to go back to that game against Golden State on Wednesday. We've seen now the Suns and Warriors play four times this season, but like, you know, Steph didn't play the other night. Obviously, Cam Johnson, JaVale McGee didn't play. Devin Booker missed one of the games earlier. What, now that you've seen those four meetings, what, if anything, do you, you take from those games, knowing in the back of your mind there's a pretty good chance these teams will play in the second or maybe even the Western Conference uh, finals? Yeah. You know, you. <clears throat> I guess the biggest thing that you take away is that this, this Golden State team, um, their their standard of basketball is still extremely high. And, you know, like the Suns, we've talked about the Suns and, and their player development program. Uh, there's no doubt that Golden State has had a tremendous one as well. You look at that team, and they're incredibly deep. And, you know, we had said it over the last couple of years that with the injury, the silver lining is that players like Jordan Poole got a ton of minutes in big situations, you know, big minute situations and a chance to win games. And, you know, look at him. He is flourishing. Um, so you you look at their depth first and foremost is saying, you know, that's a team that can throw a lot at you. I think the biggest challenge, and we, this was the other thing we were talking about, is for Steve Kerr, as you guys know, you know, when you get into the playoffs, your rotation, it's typically no, you're not going to go deeper than nine guys. And oftentimes it is eight guys. And I think that's going to be one of the, the challenges and struggles, quite frankly, for Steve Kerr is to determine what eight are playing. Um, because, you know, what, what if Clay Thompson is, is struggling? Now, Clay's had some, you know, a few big games since he's come back. But is Steve Kerr going to sit Clay Thompson, who helped you win three titles over a Jordan Poole, let's say. Um, and, you know, how long is it going to take Steph to, to get kind of ramped back up? So those are the things, you know, I, I don't take away a ton other than just that, that both teams are extremely deep and playoff basketball is going to be a whole different animal. Terry, you were just talking about rhythm, and, and to bring that up in regards to Cam Johnson, I think it's great for him to be able to come back now. I know there are fans saying, well, whatever's wrong with him, just sit him until the postseason gets here. But to, to your point on rhythm, these guys need a couple of games sometimes to get their feet under them. We talk about Steph Curry, John Morant, they might be out until the postseason starts, and, and starting with game one of a postseason series as opposed to just this game in, in Sacramento at the end of the season, it really allows you to kind of f- find that rhythm. Can you it just what do you take away from Cam being able to come back now and, and just kind of how important that rhythm will be for him? Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely huge, Kellen. Um, you know, I, I was hopeful when the week began, just in, in talking to a few folks, that we would see him tonight. You know, I knew that there was an outside chance 
that it was going to be Sunday. But, yeah, I mean, here's a guy who, as we saw, you know, in those couple weeks, two to three weeks leading up to his, you know, monstrous night against New York, that Cam was really, really playing his best basketball, shooting his best from beyond the arc. And uh, so I, I am very happy that he'll get back on the floor, and I would expect to see some significant minutes from Cam because, look, he, he is going to be a major piece to this postseason run for the Suns. And I know that he's anxious. I mean, you know, like Chris, um, the, is getting conditioning wise now for Cam, his situation far different than Chris's because Chris was able to run and you know do all that running and conditioning. Uh, for Cam, uh, he's going to need every single one of these games and a few practice days in order to get himself up to. You hear Monty Williams talk about you know basketball shape because you can run sprints all you want, but you only get in basketball shape when you're playing in a high level basketball games. Talking to Kevin Ray, uh, K Ray, I, I went through and I was I was trying to figure out their record this season without each of their main players because they the Suns have had a lot of guys miss a pretty good chunk of games. I think that gets overlooked when people just look at the Suns like oh everything's gone their way. Uh, it's a winning record. It's a, it's a it's a huge winning record with every one of these players. Eighteen and three without Da, eleven and four without Chris Paul, with seventeen and five without Campaign. A lot of these guys were missing games uh, together too. And just in terms of their depth this year compared to even last year, how much have you seen that improve? Well, it, it's improved, you know, exponentially. And, you know, I think I think adding to the depth is, you know, the, the guys who have been with Monty and this staff now for, you know, for the three-plus seasons. And so in, in addition to, you know, getting comfortable with Monty and the staff, they're getting additional coaching from the likes of a Devin Booker, from even from the likes of a campaign. And you look at what Aaron Holiday was able to do, you know, in the handful of games that, that he needed extended minutes. And it just it speaks to, as I said earlier, the player development system that they have set up here with this team, with this coaching staff, and, you know, identifying the type of player that you want to bring in and feeling comfortable and, and more importantly, confident that they'll grasp your stuff and be able to run it, you know, the way that you want it run. Kevin Ray, great stuff as always. Enjoy this one tonight. All right, fellas. Have a great rest of your Friday. Thanks, Thanks K-Ray. That's K-Ray joining us right there. Game day with K-Ray on the 72 Sold Sports Line. Get your price at 72sold.com. ASU baseball is in full swing, so head to the contest page on arizonasports.com right now for your chance to win tickets to see the Sun Devils take on Cal this weekend. And when we come back, the Cardinals have three primary needs when it comes to the NFL draft. So what does history tell us with those positions in the first round? It's the Wolf and Luke Show. Kellen Olson in for Wolf on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Wolf and Luke Middays, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. I feel pretty confident we're the only radio show in America right now playing Good Charlotte. How do you feel? I'm so happy. I'm just so happy. <laughs> the biggest smile I've ever seen on Kellen's face. Except when Shane Doan was here. That was it. That's true. Yeah. That, that was a four-hour show and the whole time. Next time we do happy. this, you should bombard me with Shane Doan out of nowhere and just see if I have a panic attack on the air, probably. Oh, yeah. That's how okay. I feel about Shane Doan. Do this again this summer. He's, he'll come in. I guarantee you he'll come in. And we won't tell you, and it'll just be the three of us doing a show together. He offered to adopt me, Luke. We're best friends. <laughs> 
right, in case you can't uh, figure it out, Kellen Olsen is in for Wolf today. Now, Kellen, you did something that's uh, that, that seems crazy to me. You did research for the show, a lot of it. Like you conducted your own like study on the uh, on the draft. So I'm going to let you explain it instead of me explaining it like 80 percent correctly. Here's the thing for you and your listeners to understand about me, Luke. I'm a crazy person. I'm nuts. I look at this Cardinals roster and I'm pessimistic about it. I am very pessimistic. <laughs> I don't about, think you're the only one. I'm very pessimistic about Steve Kime getting an extension. I'm even more pessimistic about Cliff Kingsbury getting an extension. But I want to find a good football team here. I need to find a good football team somewhere near because this is supposed to be a good football team. I'm not sure if it is, but what will really help is the draft. And they've got these three picks, rounds one through three. Back half of the first round, we've got wide out, we've got edge rusher slash DN, however you want to phrase it, and as people heard in our earlier segment, I'm not completely sold on Jeff Gladney yet, I need to see him play football for the Cardinals before I declare him the number two corner all of a sudden, so let's add corner in there too. Okay. And what I did is I went through the last 10 NFL drafts that feel fair to me, which is 2010 to 19, because 2020, 2021, those guys might still be developing. Let's give the guys a couple of years to develop. Okay. I looked at those 10 years, and I went through the back half of the rounds, one through three, for each of those drafts, and went through the positions. And what I did was I looked at the guys who made the Pro Bowl at those positions and tried to pick out any sort of trends that popped up and a few actually did. Okay. And I'm just wrapping my head around 2010. This is a lot to say. To 2010 to 2019 are that's 10 years I blocked out because of the Suns in those years. So, um Me too. I, I guess yeah. But but this is good when we can kind of revisit those years that we've forgotten 2010 to 2019. So here's what I learned. Uh maybe don't take a wide out in the first round. Okay. 16 Pro Bowl wideouts across those 10 years. Again, we're looking at the back half of rounds one through three because we're trying to pick through the Cardinals range. We can't pick the top of the second round because the Cardinals aren't going to be there. They're going to be at 23 for the second round. Three of those 16 were in the first round. We're taking in the back half of the first round. Wow. Okay. Nine of them were in the second round. Nine. And then a whole nother four in the third round. So 13 of the 16 Pro Bowlers that I mentioned were not taken in the first round. They were taken in the back half of the second or the third round. Now, this is where it gets even more interesting. Well, and I should say the Cardinals do like taking wide receivers in the second round. So, so far, they're probably on board with this. Yeah, and there's evidence to back up my claim not being true with those picks. Great. Fantastic start to my claims. Anywho, edge rushers. Nine Pro Bowlers over that stretch. A lot less Six of those nine were taken in the first round. You're looking at Cameron Jordan and Cameron Hayward. We're talking defensive ends, too. Those guys rack up sacks. Melvin Ingram, Chandler Jones, a pretty good player. D. Ford, and then somebody named T.J. Watt. He's decent. Who's all right? Then you just got three the rest of the way. We're talking Carlos Dunlap in the back half of the second round of 2010. Frank Clark in 2015. Daniel Hunter was the lone third-round Pro Bowler that I found in the back half of those drafts uh, of that third round. And corner is even more overwhelming. I had 11 Pro Bowlers I, I, I ticked down, and eight of them were in the back half of the first round compared to the back half of the second and the third. Eight of those 11, only one was in the third round, two were in the second round. Now, this is not me getting on top of my mountaintop and just proclaiming, do not take a wide receiver, take a corner or an edge rusher instead with this pick in the back half of the first round. But what I'm saying is history has taught us that there is a real premium there at corner specifically, I think, more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And this draft class, Luke, is particularly interesting with those position groups, particularly at corner, though, because there's three guys that seem to be in the consensus of of being up there. There are different arguments there. It seems like Gardner and Stingley are the two guys that are top two for pretty much everyone. Some people are lower on McDuffie from Washington than others, but ESPN's Todd McShay and Scouts Inc. ran through four different 
people and looked at their top five players at each position, and all of them had those three corners in the top three. From there, it's a grab bag, and it's really interesting because two or three of these corners are going to be great. Two of them might be fine. Two of them might suck, and, yeah. and we're going to figure out who they are. I mean, there's Kyrie Ulam out of Florida, and, and there's other potential there with Booth out of Clemson. We'll see with those two guys, but it feels like there's a really good chance you could get a really good player at that point. Andrew Booth, cornerback. Clemson. Booth has solid size for a cornerback at six feet tall. His strengths, in addition to his size, are ball tracking, backpedaling quickly, and good footwork. He does need to stop being so physical with his hands past the line of scrimmage, and he sometimes over-anticipates routes. According to a scout for an NFC team, he is a Lovey Smith-style cornerback, so maybe look for the Texans to draft him. NFL comp, Pro Bowl cornerback, Jackrabbit Jenkins. I remember the days when Jackrabbit Jenkins was Janoris Jenkins, but that was pre-pandemic. What a cool nickname. It is, except I think he gave it to himself, so that kind of takes a little bit of the, the edge off of it. So, going to what you're saying, I think this does make, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, you, like the Cardinals got Marco Wilson in the fourth round last year, but generally speaking, you don't hear about a lot of like, oh, this team found a great corner in the third or fourth round. It does feel like that in particular is a position where if you're going to go corner, especially a guy that you would want to be an impact player this year, you probably got to do it in the first round. Like if the Cardinals this this draft took a corner in the second round, fine. Doesn't mean his career isn't going to pan out, but I'm just not putting a lot of stock into that because to me, with the addition of Gladney and you already have Murphy and you've got Marco Wilson, that's a pretty young cornerback room. Yeah, I, I want somebody like, Okay, they're not getting Stephon Gilmore, I guess, but I wanted somebody like that. And even if they're not going to have the resume that Stephon Gilmore has, I want somebody that has played in the league for a while because that's what they don't have at that position. So unless you're drafting somebody with like the fourth pick in this draft, I'm not expecting a corner that they take to come in and make an impact unless there's injuries and they and they have to. What's interesting though is it, this sort of goes back to what Gambo was saying on uh, Burns and Gambo yesterday. If you're going to get an edge rusher. It sort of sounds like where the Cardinals are picking. You probably need to do that in the first round if you want them to play this year and like do something this year. It the, the big blow for them and and a low key thing that kind of happened was Ojabo with his Achilles because that was a guy who you looked at as as outside linebacker designation compared to defensive end for the five guys that we were talking about earlier. He was the guy that was at the top of the pack for that group. But again. I don't know if they can afford to take any of these guys who are going to miss this year. Like they need to get instant impact contributors with some of these guys, and I don't know if he's he's the fit. Boye Mafe is another name that's been mocked around the end of the first round. I'm not sure about him. And then at wideout, it, I just hate how this draft turned out for the Cardinals. I really don't like it because they, there are really really good players at their needs, but they're going to be gone. There are three fantastic wide receiver prospects. There's London. There's Wilson. There's Olave. All three of them are probably going to be gone. When the Cardinals pick, there's Jameson Williams, but like he's he just tore his ACL. He's, yeah, he's dealing with what, one too. We're gonna yeah. talk about that in a bit. Like, what can you do there? And then and then Burks out of Arkansas is an interesting prospect, but again, like you need him to be an instant impact guy. Traylon Burks, wide receiver, Arkansas. A big, smooth, and natural receiver, Burks' versatility gives him the ability to operate from wherever you want on the field. He's a mismatch when you combine his size, strength, and competitiveness. However, his speed testing at the Combine did not meet expectations. Arkansas benefited by putting the ball in his hands from all kinds of alignments, which NFL play callers can also take advantage of. His NFL skills jump off the screen when you watch the film, but his potential to become a three-level target 
target is a little cloudy after a disappointing showing at the Combine. NFL comp Titans wide receiver A.J. Brown. I mean, I would take A.J. Brown if the Titans just wanted to give him up and, and we don't have to make the comparisons. I don't know where your expectations are at for the second receiver spot, but that type of prototypical build sounds like what they need more than anything else. Because yeah. they've got the Rondale more for the quick agility stuff in the slot, all that kind of stuff. They need another possession guy to go next to DeAndre. That was the thought with A.J. Green. It went well in some stretches, mostly didn't go well again. We'll see if it could happen again next year. I sure hope not, but we'll see. <laughs> it might be. But Burks, to me, sounds like one of the more intriguing names that we've gone over. Uh, but again, it, there's value with receivers in the second and third round, especially over the over that stretch is what I learned more than anything else. Yeah, see, I don't, I don't hate the way this draft potentially shakes out for the Cardinals as much as you do, although I can see where you're coming from, just because there, there are supposed to be so many really good receivers in this draft, and that's a position that they need. But where I, where I hate where this may play out for the Cardinals is, as we talk about these positions, I don't like the fact that they are banking on getting instant impact players at these positions. Like, okay, we, we talked about corner. Well, what if you go at receiver? What if you're like, okay, I want to, Chris Olave drops and I'm going to get him. Okay, that's great. That, that's like a best case scenario. Chris Olave drops if you're going to draft a receiver, but you're still going into next season with DeAndre Hopkins, who we've kind of heard the team say maybe we're a little too over dependent on him last year. So now you're going to go into the season with DeAndre Hopkins, Rondale Moore and a rookie at receiver. And it's the same thing at edge. I mean, the more we talk, the more I'm kind of flipping back to I'd I'd almost rather, if you could get one of those main edge rushers in the first round, get one of them. I don't want to reach for one, but if you could get one of them. But even then, you're going to have so much inexperience on your front seven when you start the season on defense. I need this, Luke. Stop. Please stop. (laughs) I need this. I need to hold out hope that they can get two or three instant impact guys in this draft. They could do it. Yeah. They could happen. And... We're talking about this class and a really good point that you made. Those top five DNs, one of them could fall. Like you need twenty two five of the twenty two to take a position there. McDuffie is a guy who's falling in a lot of mocks. Like it's not completely crazy for one of those guys like Olave, for instance, to fall. But yeah, you you just don't want to rely too much on youth at that stage, but they're putting themselves in the position to do so, at least right now, while we wait for free agency and see what happens. Which is weird, because it, this seems like a team that's constructed to win now, but you're going to be relying on a lot of youth. And I know some of it, this is not a perfect world where you can just say all of our rookies are going to be coming off the bench. But man, it seems like they're going to be really uh, depending on a lot of those guys. The other thing, too, and we'll get more into this later on, but a lot of these mock drafts don't really have many, if any, quarterbacks going in the top 20. I find it hard to believe at least two of them aren't going in the top 20. That's going to push a couple guys down if that happens. Christian Ponder's my number one example where it's just like no one, everyone knew he wasn't a first round pick and then he just went 12 or whatever to Minnesota and it's like they just got to get that quarterback. Yeah, those guys are going to go like Malik Willis is going to be off the board by the time the Cardinals are up. I guarantee you. Even Christian Ponder was like, hold on, I wasn't ready to get drafted this early. I got stuff I'm doing tonight. All right, text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. When we come back, Cam Johnson listed as probable for tonight's matchup against the Green. So how many games would we like to see him play before the playoffs? We get into that next. Kellen Olsen's in for Wolf on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Wolf and Luke. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. And listen live on the Arizona Sports app. Listen live on the Arizona Sports app. Home court advantage. It's a privilege granted to the number one seed in the NBA playoffs. The Phoenix Suns are that number one overall seed this season. CP3 departed with them as the best team in basketball record-wise, and he came back, and they still the best team in basketball. It's an extraordinarily impressive operation. Suns run to the playoffs. Presented by Canvas Annuity. We on the move, man. We on the move, man. 
Uh, breaking news on one of the TVs in here. Did you see this? Kellen Anthony Davis might play tonight for the Lakers. April Fools, everyone. <laughs> He's not playing. We all know that guy never plays basketball. Come on now. Did you see? Well, I know you saw this because you're the one that brought it to my attention. But LeBron's tweet earlier today to the uh, <laughs> the already kind of upset fans in Los Angeles. Look. LeBron James is a smarter person than I am. He knows a lot more about a lot things than I, a lot of things than I do. Okay. But one thing I know about that old Twitter.com is you got to know how your audience is reacting and how they're going to react to how you react. And when you joke about missing the rest of the season, when your playoff lives are on the line for the next couple of regular season games, probably not the time to joke. Yeah, his tweet this morning was, I'm out for the season officially, see y'all in the fall. And as you can imagine, most of the responses are, you're going to be out in a week anyway, so what's the point? That's that, Those are the nicer responses from people. Lakers fans not real happy with uh, with anybody on the Lakers this season. So for, for their best player to then troll his own fan base, that's, that's an interesting choice. I'm sure he laughed for 15 seconds and never thought about it again. Probably. God bless being able to do that. I can't. <laughs> okay, so I got this research that uh, as I'm looking at it, Kellen, I'm guessing this has probably already been done like 10 times over and it's probably in like the it's probably in like the game notes for every Suns game. Shoot. But I don't care. This is their record when missing all of these players. Okay. I read a little bit of this when K-Ray was on before, but I'm going to go through because a lot of, you know, you figure the Suns top eight players, seven of them have missed a significant amount of games this season. And the reason I'm bringing this up today is it. Looks like everybody's going to be back tonight, in theory, if JaVale McGee and Cam Johnson really come back. Knocking on everything around me, people. I don't know if any of this is actually wood. I uh, tried. I think it's all plastic, actually. Uh, so, okay, so JaVale McGee. They are 7-1 and one this season without JaVale McGee. Jay Crowder, they're 10-2. and two. Uh, Devin Booker, they're 8-3. and three. Chris Paul, 11-4. Cam Johnson, 14-2. and two. DeAndre Ayton, 18-3. and three. Cam Payne, 17-5. and five. So not just a winning record without each of these guys, an overwhelmingly winning record. Like an 18-3 and record without DeAndre Ayton is, is insane. The only one that's even like kind of eh, is 8-3 is and three without Devin Booker, and that's pretty good without Devin Booker. And I'll, I'll reiterate this, a lot of these games, two or three of these guys were missing, and they just won anyway. It's pretty good depth. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) It doesn't make sense with how we process sports and how we're supposed to process basketball specifically for how much one guy means because the thing... The thing about the sport that uh, one of the things I really love about it is just how unique every player is. And like that really applies to guys like Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Like you cannot replace what those guys do with the skill set. Like it's not down to a couple of skill sets. What they do is completely unique to everyone else at their position. Someone like DeAndre Ayton, you can bring in JaVel McGee and Bismack Biombo, but the way that DeAndre moves, how strong he is, all that kind of stuff. He just glides around the floor, and there's no one at his position that moves like that in the rest of the league. Even guys like Jay Crowder, with what he does for their defense and their offense, just sort of as a leader and the, arguably the smartest player on the team, which is crazy to say because Chris Paul is also on their team, but he's really up there with basketball IQ. I don't think he gets enough credit for it. You look at Mikel Bridges, I mean, that speaks for itself defensively. Cam Johnson, how many teams have that off their bench right now? It's it's just one of those things where these guys go out and who's replacing them is it sort of feels like it's irreplaceable. And yet, the wheels have just kept on spinning. It's just remarkable. Yeah, and one of the most impressive things, uh, to me at least, specifically when Chris Paul was out, is that they didn't change 
really anything they did, which I know they had the luxury of, of you know, if, if instead of going 11 and 4 without Chris Paul, they went 8 and 7, they'd still be fine. So I, I maybe that enabled them to be a little more bold and say, no, we're not changing what we're doing, even though we're going to be playing without Chris Paul for the next few weeks. Uh, but by not doing that, then when Chris Paul, and Chris Paul even said this when he came back, yeah, I stepped right back in and they hadn't changed anything. So I just get to be Chris Paul again. There is no game or two or a week or whatever uh, to, to shake the rust off or just to get the team rolling along the way they have been. We'll see if that's the case with Cam Johnson as he likely comes back tonight. James Jones is on with Burns and Gambo on Wednesday. And uh, they asked him if he had a number of games that he wanted to see Cam play before the playoffs. No, I mean we're just we're just going to take it game by game and let him continue to to, to ramp up. You know, I, I would think he he'd ask for all the games. Um, he's a guy that wants to play all the time, and you know, you know, you only think uh, one or two games ahead when you're coming back from injury. So I think after a couple of games, we'll be able to see how he feels. That to me, getting Cam Johnson back, whether it was tonight or you know Sunday or early this upcoming week. I think it's huge, especially because Cam Johnson kind of implied that he wanted, he didn't imply it, he said, I'd like to come back and get my shot back again before the playoffs start, because last year he didn't get to do that. I think he's still pissed about being out in the first place, because he's a guy that really plays off of rhythm, and his season this year has been pretty fascinating to look at, because he starts the year... In eight of his first 14 games, he scores less than eight points in them. Like, he's just not impacting the game, shots aren't falling, whatever. Before this year, his longest consecutive streak of double-digit scoring was three games. (laughs) Then he rips off 19 straight games of scoring. Then he twists his ankle. Then he comes back, kind of gets his rhythm again. 14 points, 21, 15, 23, 20, 38. Boom, right quad contusion. Out another 13 games. I think it's really important for him to get these six games if he plays tonight, five, whatever the case may be. For him to get this time to play is really important for him, and it's really important for Chris Paul because Chris keeps saying after each game, like, I'm out, I'm, I'm tired. Like, I'm out of shape right now. Like, I got to get in that level of basketball shape. Now, out of shape for him is more in shape than about 95% of the guys in the league, probably. But he has a standard that he plays to and a level of his conditioning that he gets to, and you really need to work on that over the course of a couple of weeks. And and that's something that he is going to do right now because you can play three-on-three. You can have like a spirited practice every now and then, really, but you really just can't get this type of run anywhere else that will get you in the conditioning you need to be in for the postseason. And so for Cam Johnson to get this time, like even if we're talking about the Sacramento game, the last game of the year, Cam Johnson should probably play in that game because he needs every game he can to get his conditioning back to where it is but also with like the numbers that I just said his his rhythm as well because he has just been we're going to talk about a little bit later in the show like and kind of look at the differences between this year's team compared to last year's team yeah Cam might be at number one on the list if not Mikel but it's between those two guys in terms of the weapons that they have offensively that they don't this year Cam Johnson is in there Mikel Bridges is in there they're so much better than they were last year in terms of consistent contributions you know, we saw a very Look, it's not the same as the playoffs, but that game against Golden State the other night, you know, Devin Booker couldn't hit a shot. And how often is that really going to happen? I know it happened a couple games at the start of the year, but Devin Booker could not hit a shot. They went into Golden State and they won anyway. Yes, I know the pushback from Warriors fans, well, we didn't have Steph. I, I understand that, but I'm just, to your point of what you were just saying, if now you have these other scoring options that weren't necessarily those guys last year, Devin Booker couldn't hit a shot, so Mikel Bridges hit all of his shots, and they just found a way to win anyway. Is that different if it's Game 6 of the Western Conference Finals against Golden State or the second round or wherever Golden State's going to finish up? Yeah, to a certain extent, but but knowing that you have these other guys that can score, 
you know, I'm I'm assuming 19 out of 20 times Devin Booker is going to be able to to hit his shots in a game, and so you should be good those nights anyway. But what I like about this year's team even more so than last year's team is they they seem to have like little safety nets set up along the way, which. Some of that is Monty Williams. Some of that is just the players themselves. But James Jones, I mean, I, I can't give that guy enough credit for identifying identifying even the smallest needs on this team and saying, okay, I've got the perfect guy to fill that seemingly small role. But then they come in and it's like, okay, yeah, on any given night, you might need that guy. And it seems like one of them steps up every time. That's why they have these records 14 and 2 without Cam Johnson and 11 and 4 without Chris Paul and 18 and 3 without DeAndre Ayton. We come back, we'll get back into football. Could the Cardinals afford to take somebody that isn't necessarily an immediate impact player in the first round of this upcoming draft? There's one name that has been linked to them that would be intriguing, but they might not be in the position to do it. It's the Wolf and Luke Show on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Calling all cars, we got another Vic. Wolf and Luke Middays, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. What did you expect from me? Callan, I'm going to tell you right now, I know you fill in on the other shows. I don't think you're ever going to fill in on a show where the producer is going to coordinate the music to your interests the way we're doing it on this show today. I wonder if people are tuning in at certain segments and they're like, is Wolf like headbanging to this? <laughs> Just like, what's going on exactly? No, according to him, it's crap music. Yeah, he, that's usually his response. That threw me off so much when he told me that. I was like, no, this is just he's screaming alone, driving back from Tucson in college, just screaming this stuff. Yeah, that's what this is. When I, when I look at Kellen, I don't necessarily think frat boy first. Can't say it comes to mind either, Luke. Can't no. say it. Uh, all right, to the uh, NFL draft again. I was looking at this um, mock that Cynthia Freeland of NFL.com put up. This is interesting. Yeah, because she went through this a little bit different than, than different mocks. She... Um, her explanation at the beginning is that she always looks to maximize each selection according to win share value added for the upcoming season. And she takes a more analytic approach than, than some of these mocks do, really than most of the mocks do. So it's a little bit different the way she does it. But at number 23, she has the Cardinals taking Jamison Williams, wide receiver out of Alabama. Okay? And she talks in her little write-up on it. The first sentence is, if, if Jamison Williams hadn't torn his ACL in the national title game, he would have slightly edged out Garrett Wilson for top wide receiver on my board. That's what she said. Oof. So right there, you're talking about getting a guy who that, would have been a top 10 pick is what she's saying. Yeah. And here's the capsule real quick. Jamison Williams, wide receiver, Alabama. Williams started off his college career struggling to get playing time at Ohio State, so he made the move to Alabama. That is where he blossomed into one of the country's most productive receivers, notching 15 touchdown receptions and 1,500 receiving yards. That was enough to make him a first-team AP All-American last year. Williams separates from defenders with ease and sports a wide catch radius with his long arms, but he lacks sufficient strength when fighting for catch space. One thing that might hurt his draft stock he tore his ACL in the college football national championship game in February. A fun fact, when he was in high school, the St. Louis native set a state record in the 300-meter hurdles, breaking the previous record set by Ezekiel Elliott. NFL comp, Dolphins wide receiver, Will Fuller. Okay, so Jamison Williams right there, as you were just saying, Kellen, if, he's not, if he doesn't hurt himself in the national title game, he's a top 10 pick. 
So normally you look at this and you'd be like, okay, the Cardinals went 11 and 6 last year. This is fantastic. They could get a guy in this scenario. If Jamison Williams is there, you get a guy that is a potential Pro Bowl receiver going forward, just maybe not this year. You got to do that. I picked 23, right? But we all kind of had the same reaction in the show meeting when we were talking about this before. Like, they've. They've worked themselves into this corner, and maybe things change. They're still a little under four weeks before the draft. But as it stands right now, these guys they draft have to to step in and be huge impact guys this year. So you might be in a position where Jameson Williams is there at number 23, and he is a top 10 talent, but he's coming off an ACL injury. That might be too big of a risk for the Cardinals because they have like legitimate holes they have to fill in terms of having a full roster right now. The only thing that would make me okay with this decision would be Steve Kimes still having a few of his one-year wonders in his back pocket still. If he's looking at a market and looking for someone who is dialing down their price much more, seeing that a three-year deal is impossible, and they're like, okay, enough of this. I'll play one year in Arizona, and then I'll go get paid again next year. That's what Steve Kimes does better than almost any other GM in the National Football League. That's probably why he still has his job, if we're being completely honest. And he could still do that again in the next three and a half weeks. He could still do it because we're looking at a list right now, like the top available free agents. And for example, two guys like Justin Houston or Melvin Ingram on the edge, like if they can't get big money elsewhere right now and they're still sitting there and they're wondering where it's going to come from, Steve Kime can offer you like you can play with J.J. Watt and you can play on this team that is going to be good. We, we think, we hope, they're going to tell them it's going to be good. Don't ask <laughs> us if we think it's going to be good. It should be good. If the, you had to pick the win total Don't right make now. that pitch, Steve. Uh, make it a little bit better than that one that I just gave. But if you can get one of those one-year wonders in there at one of those needs, okay, then you can talk me into Jameson Williams. And, he, and here's why. He sort of reminds me, the, the NFL draft, you, you're looking for starters and, and you can get really solid players up and down like the first three or four rounds. But you can't look at it, at least right now, like I know like Devontae Adams, all these guys that go in the second, third round or whatever all the time. But at a pre-draft perspective, you can't really look at anyone outside of the top 10 or 12 and say like there is star upside here with this guy. There is star upside with Jamison Williams. He could be one of the best receivers in the National Football League by the end of maybe even next season. Like he could be on that type of level. We have seen a lot of rookies come in recently at that position and immediately establish themselves as a top five, six, seven guy at the position. And and Jamison Williams is there. I I think he's there uh, talent-wise. I really do believe he's there. I mean, we're talking about like 1,500 yards, 15 touchdowns, 80 catches. And the thing that I love is that he came from an Ohio State program that didn't play him. He's got a chip on his shoulder there already. And then the other thing there is like, you look for guys that are late bloomers. That's something that I really think is valuable in the draft when you find guys like John Morant who are at Murray State and then all of a sudden they're just improving exponentially, diamond in the rough. It seems like Jamison Williams is on that similar path. And if you can look at DeAndre Hopkins and Jamison Williams towards the back half of the season and then go from there. But again, can you afford to do it and can you fill in a receiver in the meantime while he's injured? This is where I'm adding if, 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 if. A lot of ifs, Luke. I'm adding too many ifs, I think. Well, the thing is, I mean, if this scenario played out, so there's another if, if Jamison Williams really is there at number 23, I don't know how you could pass on him. But, yeah, I mean, I have these concerns. It's how I started the segment for a reason of, I mean, it's not like you're punting this season away, but... You would have to, 
I'm sorry, Kellen, but I think you would have to bring back an A.J. Green or somebody like that, specifically at the receiver position. You'd have to go out and get somebody. You can't go into the season coming off a year where you collapse down the stretch, and one of the main things you point to, and I think rightfully so, is we were too reliant on DeAndre Hopkins. You can't do that and then come back the next season with DeAndre Hopkins, an injured rookie, and Rondale Moore as your receiving core. You can't do that. Remember when the Cardinals signed Kevin White and he was kind of getting in the mix a bit? Like We can't have some of those guys in here at the number two. That cannot happen. You need to get a certified guy. So if you take Jameson Williams, he's not going to be that certified guy right away at the start of the season. Can you afford to wait? I don't know. But then again, Luke, if I'm the Cardinals brass, and I think that's a a huge thing about everything that we talk about with signings, trades, free agency, all that kind of stuff in every single sport is you have to realize the amount of knowledge that the front offices have that we don't. And the two things I would want to know, how is DeAndre Hopkins looking physically? Mm -hmm. He's 29 years old. Does he still have three or four years of elite, I'm the best receiver in the world football left in him? Because he'd never really been hurt until this year. And how are the Kyler Murray talks going? Because if we can just sit here and say for the next four years we're going to have peak DeAndre Hopkins and improving Kyler Murray and this kid, yeah, I would do it. I, you would have to do it. You're eventually going to need... You, you don't really have any any potential stud receivers lined up behind DeAndre Hopkins at this point. Christian Kirk is gone. I would not have paid him what Jacksonville did. Nobody other than Jacksonville would have paid him. No. But either way, I would have liked to have still had him here, and now he's gone. Um, Rondale Moore could be something. I don't think he's ever going to be DeAndre Hopkins. But if you take a Jamison Will Williams, now Rondell Moore is in a spot where he's more where he should be. He could be Rondell Moore. A third option and be far more explosive with far less attention around him than what he had last year once teams started becoming more aware of him. That, that's why this is such a, a, a tough spot because Jamison Williams isn't dropping to number 23 if he's not hurt. But if he actually does drop to number 23 because he is hurt, there's teams around the Cardinals that can say, yeah, we'll take this guy. We're already set at receiver. And if he becomes the guy that we think he will and he passes these guys, fine. But we, we know we've got guys for the first six, seven, eight weeks. The Cardinals right now, as they're currently constructed, don't have that. The Cardinals a year ago would have had that. If you were going in, you're saying, okay, we got DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, A.J. Green, and we're going to take this guy. Yeah, absolutely. Right now, it's like you, I, I think, would have to do it. But then are you kind of sacrificing at that point the start of next season because you haven't added pieces in free agency? It would need to be one of those one-year guys kind of finds a receiver. And the receiver list kind of got short. We're talking about like Sammy Watkins, maybe Jarvis Landry. Like I like Jarvis getting, Landry. It's getting tough. Like If you can get one of those guys in here on a one-year deal, though, and I, and I don't know if you can. Yeah, that's true. Jarvis Landry, I don't think, is taking a one-year deal at this point in his career. No. Uh, coming up next, we're going to take you through the top stories of the day with Wolf and Down Your Lunch. It is the Wolf and Luke Show. Kellen Olson in for Wolf on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.